We're in John chapter 4. We've just completed the woman at the well. And following this discourse between Jesus and the woman, she goes off and the disciples come back. Timing, it's just amazing the timing here. And they had been out to buy some food. And they've come back and, and they think he's going to be hungry because they went out to buy something. So, Rabbi, eat something, they said, verse 31. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Which just kind of struck me as hilarious. I mean, like, was he hiding a Snickers bar in his robe or something? And, uh, so the and, and they wanted to understand it too. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And, gee, and all of this, the, the woman at the well, this discourse now, this, this question about food, them going off to buy food, and the entire discourse of the woman at the well is to set up the following speech on the part of Jesus. We've seen this before. We're seeing it again. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. Do you not say, four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. This is a speech that he makes which doesn't seem to mesh with what's just come before. It doesn't seem to have anything more than a bowl of cherries to do with the whole sequence between Jesus and the woman at the well, at least not on the surface. Until you start thinking about what was the context in which John's Gospel was written this was written in the 90s AD. Uh, it, was, it was over a process of, of several years and several layers of having been written. And it was, uh, it was written um, to a people who were experiencing a great influx of, of, of Christians, both Jewish Christians who had been expelled from, from Palestine and who were expelled from the synagogues and now having to be completely and totally Christian, and also new Gentiles who are coming in and one side unhappy with the other side and the other side unhappy with the one side. The people who've been there for a while uncomfortable with new people showing up, new people showing up questioning why things are done the way they're done. So we have this kind of a situation going on. The, the harvest is ready. It is plentiful. It is here. It is now. Go out and reap. Even where you did not sow, go out and reap. It flows from the injunction, from the conversation, from the dynamic between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Why? Because she's a Samaritan woman. She's not the kind of person you would expect that a good Jewish rabbi would be speaking with, and yet he does. He speaks with her. He talks with her. She talks about the expectation for a Messiah. She's a Samaritan, not a Jew. Samaritans aren't expecting the Messiah, and yet she has this expectation for a Messiah. She talks about it with herself, saying, we are expecting the coming of the Messiah. 
She wants to know God. She, she has certain preconceptions about what, what Jewish rabbis are supposed to do and what messiahs are supposed to do. And she has this conversation with Jesus where she's never quite completely getting it, yet she gets part of it. And then finally she goes off to proclaim Jesus in her hometown. This context, it's, um, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. We've got this woman. She's not expected and she's not the kind of person you would expect to be amongst Jesus' first in, uh, converts. Indeed, she then goes off and talks to her town, to a town of Samaritans, who are not the kind of people you expect to be amongst the first converts of the Messiah. And yet that's exactly what they become. In the context of that, you have this speech from Jesus saying, the field out there is plentiful. They may, may not look, smell, or act like what you're expecting. But go out there and reap anyway. Go out there and bring them in. Receive them in. You didn't sow for them. Someone else did. Now it's time to reap the harvest. As we have already seen, and as we will continue to see, so often... John's Gospel, as an application, takes these events, this, this anecdote of the woman at the well, which comes from the very earliest period, and provides this interpretation and this application that is current to, the, to then today, to the today of John's Gospel when it was being written, and is frankly current and applicable to today today, our today. It keeps going, and it goes within that context. The, the, yes. the Samaritan woman story is is common to other gospels. Yeah, the Samaritan woman story is not necessarily common to other gospels, but it, it reflects stories that you find in the other gospels. In fact, you find that with many of these early anecdotes. We're going to see that again with the healing that's getting ready to come up. It has some parallels with the centurion's son. It has some par other parallels as well. Uh, there seems to be a commonality of stories in these early accounts within John's gospel, which are then layered and built upon and interpreted and applied. So, so the story and the, and the lesson are kind of unique to John. The, the lesson is unique to John. The story is applied by John, but is from a collection of stuff that is absolutely Jesus-oriented. It's absolutely from that early tradition that comes from those traditions that lay even behind the synoptics themselves. And you see them in, in, in several places. There's lots of debate uh, when we get to it about the healing of the young man <clears throat> and the healing of the guy at the Pool of Bethesda. There's, there's a lot of connections to be made between healings that we find in the synoptics and the healings that we find here. Even though they're not exact, they're similar. And then they've been placed into a context and applied and interpreted uniquely by John. Let's keep reading in the context that we were just in. 39, many Samaritans, we've shifted our focus now away from Jesus giving his little speech to the disciples back over to the Samaritans in their town. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Quote, he told me everything I have ever done, unquote. So the Samaritans came to Jesus. They asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior 
of the world. And now we have yet another identification of who Jesus is. In the Synoptic Gospels, the identifications of, of who Jesus is are spread throughout the Gospels with rising understanding, with ever-increasing understanding of the nature of Jesus all the way up to the Son of God, way down the line, many chapters in. In John's Gospel, it starts out with these affirmations. He is the Word of God. He is God in human flesh. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the Son of God. All these affirmations are front-loaded. And here we have another one. And just as the first I am statement on the part of Jesus to be found in John's Gospel comes from Jesus to a Samaritan woman, so also one of the very first affirmations of Jesus as the Savior of the cosmos, the Savior of the universe, the Savior of the world, comes from Samaritans. Not the kind of people you expect. It's that message of contraries, which, by the way, can be heard, can be seen, even in the synoptics. This idea that the people who profess him are not necessarily the ones that we are expecting to profess him. I mean, a good Jewish rabbi who becomes a good Jewish messiah isn't going to be acclaimed by Gentiles and Samaritans and women. He's going to talk to the Jewish leadership, and he's going to talk to the Jewish priests and the Jewish teachers, and he's going to be proclaimed by them, not by the outsiders. And yet John is clearly indicating that while he had an ambivalent interreaction with the people in Jerusalem, the leaders in Jerusalem, the people in the Jerusalem were all by the glory of the signs and wonders that he did. <coughs> they weren't particularly happy about the cleansing of the temple. That's not a surprise. Um, but the, um, uh, uh, in, in, in John's gospel, just as in the synoptics, it's not so much, in fact, it isn't the leadership who you would expect. It's not the leadership, it's the outsiders who recognize Jesus, who acclaim Jesus, who th say things like, uh, there goes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world on the lips of John the Baptist. Uh, instead of it being Peter who affirms Jesus as the Son of God, it's Andrew. <laughs> in John's Gospel. An interesting flip in the story. And then here where the Samaritans, the Samaritans of this town say that he is the savior of the world. That's, it's a theme, it's a thread of, of continuity that runs through John's Gospel. But you also see it in the synoptics too. When the two days were over, he went from that place to Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. Oh, that's weird. Let's finish the paragraph. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival. For they too had gone to the festival. Well, wait a minute. I mean, he's, he's on his way up from Judea. He stopped off in the border country between Samaria and Galilee. He preaches to Samaritans. He then leaves to go on into Galilee, which is where he's from. I mean, he's been living and, you know, grew up in Nazareth. That's in Galilee. And it says... 
and 44, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. Huh? And then he's going there? That almost doesn't make sense. In fact, the question of the logical characteristic of that statement has plagued readers and scholars for almost 1,700 years. In fact, 1,800 years. Irenaeus was extremely bothered by this. He said it doesn't make sense. It's one of those phrases in John's Gospel that doesn't make sense. And in fact, because it doesn't make sense, there are copies of John's Gospel that chop it out. <laughs> and yet it's found in the oldest generation of manuscripts. It may have been a marginal notation, marginally noted out of place, they got drafted in early on. That's a possibility. But where it's located in our translations here at verse 44 doesn't make much sense. When the two days were over, he went from, the, from that place to Galilee. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in the prophet's own country. Huh? If he's going to Galilee, well, why? Now there now, if yeah. it's more front-loading... Maybe I'll go to Galilee so I can get killed. Thank you. Maybe I can go to Galilee so I can point out the, they're looking, as we will find in just a moment here, they're looking for signs and wonders too. It is a bit of front-loading, possibly. It is a troublesome little, 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 little phrase. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense logically in the sequence. And I noticed the... New International Version has it in parentheses. Yeah, so does the NRSV. Oh, really? <laughs> the NRSV has right. it in parentheses. Everybody else has it, has, it, has it in the body text without parentheses. That reflects the fact that it popped in and out of the textual copa, in and out of the manuscripts. But in my little yeah. edition down here, it says, in this episode, Jesus chided the officials unbelief in needing a miraculous sign in order to trust in Christ. That's coming in a minute. We're not there yet. But as you, that's, but that's the front loading. 44. Well, yeah, but it's that's ahead of time. <laughs> that's ahead of the fact. Yeah, a lot of interpretation. <laughs> but it doesn't make much sense that he would go to his hometown because right. they won't accept him. That's that's what it's saying. And, it, and the, the testimony itself is not anywhere in John's Gospel preceding this. Right? No, but that actually it's we find it. To something. It's actually an allusion to what he says in the synoptics. It's found in Mark and it's found in Luke in two varying versions of the same phrasing with the wording matching Luke but the grammar matching Mark. It's so whoever put it in there knew that that had... It's been said. said, so they had to account for it somewhere or other. And they, well, that's how it got it. in. Let's put it in there and move on. Apparently. And, in, and I think it may very well be to set the stage for this inadequate level of faith. In contrast with what he just experienced with the Samaritans. The outsiders, the folk who were not his home folk. Well, and I think, uh, who was the Sanctuary said, familiarity breeds contempt. If you grew up in a, in a land, people are less likely, they, they, oh. know, they know some of the things you've done. Sure. They're less likely to look on you as being greater rather than just being equal to them or something. They're less likely to listen to you at all. Yeah. You have to hire an expert from outside rather than listen to somebody mm -hmm. yeah. who's equally an expert but living amongst you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that is well, that's a very the reasonable thing to conclude. But that's the basic principle. Point out that 
they accepted him quite well. And <laughs> yeah, why did they <laughs> They did accept him, but they accepted him for the wrong reasons, as we'll see. Yeah, there you go. Verse 46. Then he came again. Well, well you didn't do 45, did you? Yeah, I did. When he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, since they had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the festival, for they too had gone to the festival, and they saw his works and wonders that he did while he was there, so they welcomed him because of that. That's an inadequate reason for welcoming him. At least that seems to be what verse 44 is saying ahead of the fact. And was that the scourging of the temple? That, that was the emptying of the temple, and then the little phrase it says, and all the other things that he did. They had I mean, been at the wedding. Huh? Mary, Mary was invited. More than likely, other people from. Well, there would have been other people in Galilee who who either were at the wedding in Cana or knew about it. But the reference is to what happened at the Passover in Jerusalem. Then he came again to Cana, in Galilee, where he had changed the water into wine. A direct reference to the event. Now there was a royal official whose son lay ill in Capernaum. Well, that's interesting. Cain is way up in the mountains. Capernaum's down on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. This is very much like the centurion. It's very similar, except that this says he's a royal official. A royal official, which makes him sound more like a royal official of Herod's court. Not necessarily a Roman centurion, but a native, probably even a Jew. Although there's a lot of debate about that. But the story sounds like, is reminiscent of the Samaritan. I mean, the, uh, the, the, the um, centurion. centurion. It's reminiscent of the centurion. Then Jesus said to him, that, this kind of bothers me. <laughs> this kind of bothers me. I, I'm, I, when he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went and begged him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. That's awful dismissive, Jesus. <laughs> ah, you just want to see some more signs and wonders. John's Jesus is not a particularly warm. <laughs> not, not much warm and fuzzy, eh? Not yet. But he knows what's in his heart. Yeah, but... The initial outward response to the initial request yeah. is dismissive. Ah, you just want to see signs and wonders. But it, but it, but it's a preachy story. I mean, that's, <laughs> I mean it's there to, to make this point. Like you said, that they were liking him for the wrong reasons, and here comes a guy along who's going to like him for the right reasons. And yet, initially, Jesus is like oh, another sign and wonder person. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now look at the next, look, look, look at what he says now. Look at, what, look at the response from the, from the official. Verse 49. The official said to him, Sir, kurios, Lord, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Ooh. Wow. 
a little more serious than that. I'm not necessarily looking for signs and wonders. I want my son healed. The, the word here for little, but what translation is that? I mean, does everybody say little boy? My child. 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 Son. John, John, when he means simply son, usually uses the term uh, huyas. Uh, in the centurion story, it's peos. In the, in the synoptic, it's peos. Here, in verse 49, the word is pedion. Uh, it, it, pedion literally means little, in this case, little boy. Uh, we get pediatrician from the word pedion. Uh, so it, it, the wording here is specific. It's a little boy, certainly prepubescent. He's young. In fact, it's, all, it's, not, it's not baby, more like toddler would be a good translation. Little boy, in other words. Hmm. That's exactly what he's saying. And in the centurion story, it's often interpreted as a young servant, you know, a 14 or 15 year old <coughs> servant or, or a, a, a page kind of idea. In, in this, it's his little boy that he's asking for. That's one of the major differences. This is <coughs> Jesus said, go, verse 50. Jesus said, go. Your son will live. And here we go right back to the parallel with the centurion story. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. As he was going down, that's interesting. Um, in this story, there are lots of indicators of geographical authenticity. This is one of them. Cain is up in the mountains. The Sea of Galilee is in like this bowl with the surface level of the Sea of Galilee being below sea level. And Capernaum is sitting on the northern shore. Hence, to get to Capernaum from Cana, one goes down, down into the valley. South. Down, uh, no, down in altitude. <laughs> it may have been north, but it was definitely down, down yeah, in uh, east. <clears throat> east and downward in altitude. And that language, up and down, up and down, is, has both theological, but in this case, it's simply geographical and fits. It fits perfectly with the geography that we know of for the area. Uh, go and your son will live. The man believed. The word there is faith. Uh, verse 50. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the man... Pistuoed. <laughs> the man believed, the man faithed, the man exercised faith. Um, but Jesus said, go, your son will live. And the man believed, faithed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way. Didn't take a sign, no magic trick, no uh, abracadabra, alakazam, no mud on the eyes, no, nothing like that, just... Didn't argue with him, are you sure, or how's yeah. that going to happen? Just or? go, and he goes. He goes. Hmm. 
As he was going, verse 51, as he was going down, his slaves met him and told him that his child was alive. So he asked them the hour when he began to recover. And they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. The father realized that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he himself faithed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea to Galilee. At first you might say, well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, here's this, he's a royal official and now he's exercising faith. He's now a believer. Uh, I wouldn't say that a royal official, especially one of Herod's officials, is the very best exemplar for an early convert. It's about as bad as a Samaritan. He's not the kind of person you want to have on your church board in that era. Why? Because they were conspirators with the Roman occupation. Okay. The same, it was the same problem that Matthew faced. But, Matthew was a tax collector. And so he had to sort of work with the Roman authorities. It meant that he was, he was a problem okay. in that sense. But yet he was one of the disciples. Um, yes? What I was going to say is, but did the royal nobleman and his household believe in Jesus because he was divine or because he was a good, kid. <laughs> good faith healer? It's because his son, his son was healed. Mm-hmm which is not very different from what happens elsewhere in, in healings. And well, not, it's not very different from the signs and wonders. And yet at the same time, he exercised his faith before knowing that his son exactly. was healed. Yeah. That's what it says. Yeah. He just went. He said, the man believed, verse 50, Jesus said, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started on his way without having any anything to prove to him that it was true. No magic show. No arguing about it. No hesitancy. He just went. I like how you use the word exercise because I think that's what a new believer does is they exercise their faith and then once they have a hold of it then it becomes a habit of faith. Hmm. And I'm wondering if this double reference to his bathing um, at the time where he asked, and then once again he faithed mm-hmm. once the son was healed, is that kind of idea. Well, it's faith, faith begets faith. Faith produces faith. Faith, faith was his initial response prior to having heard that it had occurred, and then when he heard it occurred, he faithed even more. It grew his faith, but he started with faith. Actually, he faithed even before because he had heard about this Jesus and he comes up to ask him for a healing. So he's responding to the word about signs and wonders, faith healer type thing. But then without having any signs and wonders of his own to show him that it has occurred, you know, his son's gotten up and run around, well, he didn't see that. He nevertheless believed. He nevertheless faithed. So it's a different level of response to Jesus than just the, oh, wow, magic show. It's one step beyond it. Now, not greatly beyond it. And it's still a faith in Jesus as working wonders. 
not so much an affirmation like the Samaritan affirmation, uh, this is the savior of the world. Or like some of the other earlier affirmations we have heard, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Word of God, the Son of God, God, the Messiah, but the I, King I, of Israel. I, that, um, what I didn't like, I think a lot of us, I'm surprised Pete didn't say anything, he remembered it exactly the same hour it was when he got the news that Jesus had told him. He looked at My it. My time ass tells me that. Exactly the same. Yeah, that sounds a little contrived. Well, they could tell time. They tell time. To the hour. hour. Actually, this is like 24 hours later or however many hours later we're well, supposed to well, believe. Well, I remember when he said that. Enough, so maybe back these, are, <laughs> these are people who live by the seasons and the sun and the position of the stars. I think it was natural. Plus, if you uh, study um, Cleopatra and some of the writings about her, they had water clocks. Now, that's not what I'm talking about at all. Well, I'm talking about the way the story, whether he had a, whether he had a Rolex on. You know, the, father, the father realized that this was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will From live. whenever it was, how many on. days ago it was. And he, that would not be beyond re realization. I mean, reality, you just, uh, people in that era especially could easily look at the sky and tell you what time it was within an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not the that's question. That's not a surprise. That's not the problem. No. The but problem I have is that oh, it was exactly the same time. But the thing is, is he was on his way home. He knew how long he had been on the road. Right. And he knew what time he had left it's not a matter of knowing the and time. That's an extensive. We have to say it's exact time. Obviously, that's that's quite that's worried about put that in there. The specific exact, like to the minute. The seventh hour. Sixteen. I think a better translation would have been. It was about the same time. And that's basically the idea. It was about the. It was at the same hour. Yeah. And that's a that's a span of time, and it's it's not unreasonable for him to have realized that. If it happened. Oh, it was about noon yesterday that, that, that he said that, and it's about noon right. yeah. if, if when it, it occurred. At that, around that time. But, but don't we have that happen in our, our everyday lives? Because if we hand over even our daily items that are so boring to God, for example, um, I was supposed to get together with um, some people on the first weekend of November. All plans were messed up. I got a call today. I'm, I had put my name in to administer the SAT to two, and it just, and I had no assignments. I do special SAT uh, proctoring. Two girls with muscular dystrophy have qualified to take that test oh. for that day. And that is why the sale on all of those airline tickets and everything else fell through sure. and, had, <coughs> and things didn't get done because I am supposed to be at, and proctor that test for those two girls. Wow. Wow. Is that teleological, teleological? Well, there's nothing necessarily wrong with a teleological No, I know, but isn't that teleological? Sure it is. Okay. Just uh, Greek, out of curiosity, just to deference to Richard's <laughs> pessimism here, does the Greek say <laughs> one in the afternoon? No, it doesn't say what time. It says the hour. So somebody, you know, somebody later on did it that way. Exactly. Yours says what? Exactly. They came back and said, "This will yeah. sound good. This will make it more one in the afternoon. Yours says one in the afternoon. Mine says at the seventh hour. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe he's the Mine's one. Well, which is it? Seventh hour. Yeah. Maybe he's the one who said that to. The, to his servants and to the people when he proclaimed his faith. Yeah, it says seventh hour, doesn't it? 
So, you know, there's a lot. There was problems with telling time. <laughs> at, <laughs> one, it, at one in the afternoon, Six, seven, which is eight. the seventh hour. Yeah. Let me look and see what it says here in, in the Greek. Maybe that was GMT. Seventh hour, which is the way in which they would have recounted it anyway. They're translating it into modern English usage for us here. Okay. And, and we <coughs> understand your skepticism because the seventh hour, the seven, number seven is the Now, my skepticism is that you have to say but you have to say anything. Seven is the number of perfection. We don't need that. And so how funny that it happens to be the seventh hour. Uh-huh. Well, then six, six a.m. plus one hour. <laughs> Yeah, it depends on what that time of the day. That would make more sense. Whether it was daylight savings time. Oh, thank you, sir. <laughs> this one's saying 7 p.m. 7 p.m.? About oh, yeah. 7 p.m. reckoning from, from noon using the yeah. Romans. That's what I was thinking. More That's morning. a different method of doing it. Yeah, I like the dawn. 1 p.m. figuring from, from morning. morning. From dawn. From dawn. From dawn. From dawn. Greenwich mean time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> uh, that's different. That's interesting because uh, that's not the way in which I would read it. So, and that's not what it says here. It does say seventh hour, but when it says seventh hour in the in the New Testament, it's usually dating it from sunup. It's using the Jewish time scale. Okay, um, verse uh, chapter five. After this, there was a festival of the Jews. Uh, the three festivals they had to go to Jerusalem for if they, they were really, really devout were Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So weeks and booms, the two other ones, so after, after Passover. If this is the very first, the very next, if it's chronologically, to be interpreted as chronologically, the next festival that would make it Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. Oh. All right, and so that's that would be which the one it is, which means that this was not a very long stay in Galilee because he took a little while getting up there to begin with after Passover was completed. So this would be you know 50 days later. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, that's also both a geographical and theological. Je Jerusalem is a superior location. It's also up in the mountains. Mm -hmm. So even though it's geographically south of Galilee, it's in more important than Galilee. Hint, you go up. It's also in the mountains. Hint, you go up. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up from Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate... There is a pool called in Hebrew, now my translation here is Beth Zatha, uh, which has five porticos. It's actually Bethesda is probably the best translation. There, there's a lot of variation in the, um, in the manuscript tradition on this one. Uh, however, we know from the Copper Scroll found in the uh, Qumran Caves that this location was had a specific uh, name, uh, Beth Bethaza, and it is the, uh, the eastern wall, just north of the Temple Mount. There was a gate where they would bring the sheep in, 
to perform the sacrifices at the temple. And there was a pool with a natural spring located there. It has, in the 20th century, it was excavated, and, and you can see it today. It sits just to the north of the temple of, of the Church of St. Anne, and it um, uh, has multiple porticos, and uh, it, it was fed by runoff water and spring water. And it was a place where people would go, and according to the, the Copper Scroll, it was a place that was endued with uh, um, healing properties, and people, according to the Copper Scroll, which is found in the Qumran Caves, that's where people would go to be healed when the water would bubble. So here's an example of where the Bible, the New Testament story, where John's Gospel itself, and where, where traditions about the, Beth, uh, the Bethesda or Bethesda pool are, have been confirmed by 20th century archaeological digs and by the findings of the Qumran scrolls in the Copper Scroll. It's a fascinating example of that. Because in, it, in the Copper Scroll, it describes precisely where it uh, is. That's cool. And the neat thing was is that they had already excavated the site. <laughs> Will you be able to see that when you go to When we go there, that's at the very start of the Via Della Rosa. And when we start our, uh, from there to make our walk through Jerusalem, the old city, to go to the uh, Church of the Holy Sepulchre, St. Anne's Church is there. It's the one with that beautiful echo. Yes. And next to it is, the you can see it. The pools wow. are there. It's all excavated. There's no water down there. But the porticos, you can see all the porticos there. And uh, so you can see the place that where, where this, is, this happened. This is one of the anecdotes that is very early, very primitive, very part of the earliest layer of Johannine material. Yet another example of that, by and the way. What is the significance of the sheep gate and what were the sheep doing? The sheep were brought in through the gate to be taken to the temple for slaughter. For sacrifice. For slight sacrifice, yes. And would that, yeah. would that spring have been used to... Feed no, because they were going in to be killed. You wouldn't, they wouldn't bother with that. But the, the, the spring itself was thought to have spiritual and magical properties for multiple reasons, none the least of which being it's right there close to the Temple Mount where the sacrifices took place. And I noticed in the different translations that um, for number four, there's... In the Amplified Bible, it talks about that, uh, about the angel of the Lord coming down and... <coughs> well, some translations do not have verse one. Let's read it. I'm going to read it without it, and then I'll read it with it. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called, in Hebrew, I'm going to use the other translation, Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. Now, notice verse 4 is missing. Verse, verse 4 reads as follows. Um, uh, waiting for the stirring of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down at, a cer at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well from whatever disease that person had. Stampede for the water. <laughs> uh, that verse 
is not attested to in the oldest manuscripts. In fact, there's a lot of variation in the reading of the verse. Uh, there's a lot of variation. There, there are quite a few different ways to put it. The version that most people know, which you find in the King James and is the version that I read, is attested to in manuscript Alexandrinus. One of the correctors notices in manuscript C, in the body text in manuscripts L, Theta, Psi, and O78. It's found in families 1 and 13, and in the majority text, it's found in the Clementine edition of the Vulgate, in the Old Latin, in the Syriac, the uh, Philioxian version in the Boeric manuscript, and it's also quoted by Tertullian. The text without it is attested to by Papyruses 63 and 75, Sinaiticus Vaticanus, the original edition of Codex C, D, T, and W. And then there are quite a few other manuscripts as well that also lack it in, in various editions of the Vulgate and the Old Latin. And, uh, and, and so forth, other editions of the Syriac and the Coptic. They all lack it. So the oldest copies, the best attested copies of the Gospel of John lack verse 4. Later copies dating from the 4th century and later. And then once you get to the 10th and 11th century, all copies contain the, uh, the verse 4. However, it does reflect even the, the tradition that is attested to in the Copper Scroll, that it was believed that the, the spring had magical qualities and that when the water would be disturbed, it was believed that angels were there to heal people. It's, and you actually see it echoed and hinted at a little further down in the text that's unquestioned. So while it's a tradition that's not written in John's Gospel in the earliest copies that we've got, and only found in the margin and then in the body text of later copies, <coughs> even though it's, it's not original, it nevertheless, nevertheless reflects a very early tradition that was circulating within just a few years of the writing of John's Gospel and in fact was concurrent with and earlier than John's Gospel because the Copper Scroll was buried before 70 AD and John's Gospel was written in 90. So the tradition, while it's not Jehannine, almost certainly, nevertheless dates from that period, if not well, before. If the tradition says that this was a healing place, uh -huh. and angels could do that, right. why would Jesus heal one person? Of course, that had been that way for 38 years, probably the worst one. But why, why would he just heal one with all these other people? Or we only have the story of him healing one. We only have a story of him healing the one. Let's, let, we're not we there time yet. For, okay. let, 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 let's, let's keep reading. So let me repeat this. Verse 4 is not found in the oldest and best attested manuscripts. Verse 4 is found in the 4th century and later. It's found in the 2nd century in the Old Latin and is quoted by Tertullian in the 2nd and 3rd century, but it's not found in the Greek. It's... Uh, and yet, so while it's not part of the original manuscript, probably, nevertheless, traditions about the site, which agree with the phrasing in the, in the story in verse 4, uh, are known to have existed 20 years before the writing of John's Gospel because they were written in the Copper Scroll, which was buried at Qumran in 68. So that's pretty good. <laughs> that's interesting. That's, uh, that's one of those fascinating things where textually we know 
the verse wasn't there, and yet we have proof that what the verse says is nevertheless true about the traditions of the site. So, um, so let's keep going. Uh, leaving out verse 4, but... Well, well, having it there, I'll just put this out, we'll see if it works, but having it there right, raises the question of, so why did Jesus have to come along with anything? Well, yeah. he's getting to that, too. We're going to get to that. Verse 5. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When he saw Jesus, when, excuse me, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And when I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. All the jerks, they, they buffalo in ahead of me. I can't get in there in time. I see the water being upset by the angel and I try to get down and get into it, but I can't get in there first. That's why I haven't been healed. I want to be healed, but I can't get down there in time. Why didn't he just say that? I want to be healed, yeah. It's kind of what he does. Question. He gives his explanation is what he does. <laughs> what do you want him to say? No, I don't want to yes. be healed today. Could you come back tomorrow? Just Thank you. <laughs> I'm enjoying the day. Yeah, so <laughs> so uh, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. That's why I haven't been healed. I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. And while I am making my way, you know, if someone would help me in, then I could. But I'm having to do it all myself, and I can't get down there in time. All these jerks get in ahead of me. Um, before we go on, it's bothersome to me that the NIV states that Jesus... Um, learned that he had been in that the invalid had been in that condition for a long time but all the other translations now states that he knew that read read the niv there when jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time he asked him do you want kainus hautepalu when he knew and knew literally it's bothersome that they use that one word and because then it just turns it into an everyday yeah. oh, oh he, why is he lying there how long has he been laying there no he that doesn't say that yeah it says he knew it literally the greek word is and knew which would be in line with everything we've read before in john's gospel thus far about jesus having omniscience he knows people before he meets them he knows about them and then I'm sorry, but then it waters down the miracle using that word because then they, there can be all these conjectures of why this man I would be curious to read the commentary in the translator's commentary for the NIV as to why they say learned because that does not render the Greek at all, not even close. Not even close. Uh, uh, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Stop there mid-verse. See, there's no, without the real addition, there's no explanation for stirred up, is there? No, exactly. Which is why verse 4 is added to explain it. And the verse has been added by people who know the tradition. And that tradition goes all the way back, certainly back to the Copper Scroll before 70 AD and certainly before. 
And so it's it it's just fascinating. I mean, you know, part of me would say, well, leave verse four in. Well, I'm I'm a as a textual critic, I really wanted to read is it most likely read in the original, and the evidence in the manuscript record says it's not there. So leave it out. But putting it in the margin is helpful, and I'm very glad they did down here in my my translation. Well, John's probably writing to an audience that knew the tradition, right? Oh yeah. Well, so he, he felt no need to put it in there. He's probably writing to an audience who's heard these stories many times. But they're not people who are local to Jerusalem and like that. It's, it's quite a while. Some of, 20 uh, years since the place was flattened. It was flattened. Only a few people who are diaspora Jews who, who left would have gone to where John was writing. Most of the people who left Jerusalem in 70 AD went to what we think of as Lebanon, up to Damascus and Syria and to Antioch, which is where Matthew's gospel comes from. Um, but there were some who would have gone eastward, a few people, especially especially people who were Hellenistic Jews anyway. They would have been more inclined to head towards Greece and Asia Minor, where other Jewish communities were located. So there would have been some. But um, nevertheless, it is, it's interesting that it's not, probably not there, and yet we have a reason to know that it was that case. And there's a hint to it and a reference to the stirring of the waters in the dialogue of the man. Now, before we move forward with what happens next, notice something. We've had in the preceding chapter, Jesus talking about being the source of living water. And then here we have a man who's trying to get down to living waters, bubbling, springing waters, but he can't. And yet Jesus himself just gives an order, and it is so. He becomes this man's living water. Isn't that interesting? It's one of those theological threads that John is continuing to play out. He's continuing to, to, to lengthen it out. He's linking it together here. This story, which is one of the early, one of those early anecdotes, is setting up what's coming next. By the way, but it's it 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 it, it beautifully links together with what we had heard with the woman at the well and Jesus being the source of living waters. Okay, now look at this. After having all this happen, wow! You think the story's done? Nope. Now the day. Now that day was a Sabbath. Dun, 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 dun. What else? <laughs> if we learn anything in synoptics, we learn that Jesus kind of liked to shove it in the face of the legalists and literalists. And he loved to do it with regards to the Sabbath day. Healing on the Sabbath day. Having his disciples pick food on the Sabbath day. Doing stuff on the Sabbath day you're just not supposed to do. Pushing the elevator button on the Sabbath day. <laughs> The stuff that you're just not supposed to do, he did. Carrying the baby on the Sabbath day. Yeah. So it's a Saturday. Yes. Yeah. Now it was a Sabbath. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your mat. <laughs> Oops. It's okay that you're healed. That's right. A miracle has happened, but you don't carry a mat. <coughs> That's 
work. Well, the miracle, that's a problem. You can be healed. That's okay. That's not work for you to be healed. It's the work for the one who healed you, but not for you. But carrying your mat is a no-no. You shouldn't be doing that. The man, uh, But he, verse 11, but he answered them, the man who made me well said to me, take up your mat and walk. He's passing the buck. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me. It was the guy who healed me. He told me to carry the mat. They asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take it up and walk. And I can just see the guy turning around to look. Oh, oh darn. <laughs> Oops. Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Interesting. He's laying by the water. Jesus comes down. Carries on this conversation with him. Then tells him, get up, take your mat and go. And he's, he does and he's healed. And he doesn't know who it is that's healed him. <laughs> Maybe he was blind too. No, he said he turned around to look for it. Yeah. He could have been blind. Yeah. Well, I bet Jesus wasn't wearing a name badge either. <laughs> <laughs> Neon sign, Jesus. Dun, dun, Jesus. Dun, dun. But he looked no. like a rabbi. Later, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, uh, see, you have been made well. <laughs> Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. <sighs> now that right there caused, has caused almost 2,000 years of debate. Yeah. It's kind of like he forgot to deliver the message the first time. <laughs> oh, by the way, <laughs> don't sin anymore. Um, the question is, what was the sin? And what was the what was the what is Jesus referencing when he says, So nothing worse happens to you? Was it being ill that was the worst, so nothing worse than that happens? Or was it getting in trouble for working on the Sabbath day? And was the sin working on the Sabbath day? Well, Jesus, you told me to do it. Or was Jesus talking about whatever it was that made him sick to begin with? And that gets into the mm -hmm. debate about, am I sick because I did something wrong? Uh -huh. And Jesus, throughout the synoptics, was very clear that that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. That's not correct. It's not, we're not sick because we sinned. So, and yet here it seems as though I think it's, it's the fact that he said he didn't know who it was. He knew. And he, but he said he, when he was asked he who fade. it was, he said he didn't know. Actually, he doesn't. <laughs> he <laughs> looks around and can't find it. Wasn't that kind of a standard admonition, though? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more would yeah. be a standard admonition in response to being forgiven. And does come up a couple of times with healing, but it's usually healing that is connected with things that, you know involve evil like being possessed uh, this is one of those places there where it looks as though Jesus is saying at least on the surface don't do whatever it was that got you sick 38 years ago or it may be Jesus responding to him uh, don't do any work on the Sabbath day <laughs> Uh, or don't lie about who it was that you who healed you, which is what Linda was saying. The debate has gone on for nearly 2,000 years to what Jesus meant there. 
the wording is obscure enough that we cannot say what he meant. We do not know. It'd be a whole lot less controversial if they'd left off the lest a worse thing come upon. <laughs> oh yeah, that would have been helpful, wouldn't it? If they'd been just Something go worse. and sin no more. That would have been easy. Notice what it says now in verse 15. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So see, it's... He went and tattled. <laughs> well, and Jesus told him not to sin anymore. And if the sin was lying about who did it to begin and with. And that's why I believe that ten, that's probably the more likely response. Say that again, he lied. When, when they asked him who did it, he turns around and looks to see, but he doesn't see him there. So he, he, said, he, so he essentially, by doing that, says, I don't know. He doesn't actually say that. He just he says, now the man who did well said to me. Right. The man who did it said to me, take up my mat and walk. And they said, who is it, the man who? And then he says, he looks, he goes, do you see the man in the courtroom? And he looks around and he's not there. He can't find Jesus for the crowd, but he knows who it is who did it. See, that's where the NIV translates wrong, then, Carol. Because it, it, says, it, it, it says a man who was healed had no idea who it was. That's not what it says Long here. Long. <laughs> now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had disappeared in the crowd that was there. Since he couldn't point him out. So he, he can't he can couldn't find him. This is saying he didn't have any idea, so they misinterpreted really bad. It sounds as though he's, instead of giving, he doesn't say Jesus, he looks to point him out. Mm -hmm. And since he can't point him out, it, it, it just doesn't happen. He says, he's not here. And then he's in the temple, Jesus comes up to him, tells him this, and then he goes to the Jews and he says he was Jesus. Almost an immediate response to that event. Which leads me to think that that's the context more than anything else. This one is, is unique too, that Jesus almost seeks him out. Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> he goes up to him in the temple there. Well, before that, at the, at the, at the pool. Oh, at the exactly. pool. Oh, at the pool. Oh. Um, 38 years you've been here. Yeah. When, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he, had, that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Huh. It's like he's, he shows up, he looks down there, he sees the guy, he goes down there, he, has, he carries on this conversation in order to heal him. This is that grace thing again. The guy didn't even ask for help. Exactly. Didn't ask for help. It's prevenient anyway. grace. That's precisely what it is. And he okay. doesn't deserve help after what he Bingo. does later on. With that. He's something, just like as we have in the other Gospels, we have people who are healed who are, are ingrates. So also in yeah. a sense, we have one here. <clears throat> Like the like the nine lepers out of the ten that just went dancing off and didn't say anything. The man went and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Therefore, the Jews started persecuting Jesus. Of course. Because he was doing such things on the Sabbath. I think I agree with you. This is almost like Jesus is provoking this. He is provoking this guy. Not only is he provoking it, it's... John using the story to set up the following speech. We've seen it before. We saw it earlier, right after the Samaritan woman. Now we have it after this one. But Jesus answered them, My father is still working, and I also am working. God, he's going to make this worse, isn't he? <laughs> For this reason, the Jews are seeking all the more to kill him. 
because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his own father, thereby making himself equal to God. And does that follow out of curiosity? I mean, he's talking about God as his father. Does that follow there? He's therefore making himself equal to God. Put it in the Jewish context. God, the, the, the song, God is watching us from a distance, the Jews would really like that idea. <laughs> from a distance. You keep God as far away as you possibly can. You keep him behind a wall. You keep him behind a, spring, a, a, a screen. You don't want to get too close to him because he'll burn you up. God is other. God is distant. God is Adonai Elohim, the Lord God, Yahweh. You don't even say his name for fear of getting toasted. You don't say Yahweh. You but just say Adonai. At least he said my father and not my father God. He is really articulating a familial relationship, relationship a familial uh, acquaintance level yes. that Jews did not do. It suggests an intimacy. I mean, they're both on the same yeah. job. They're part of the same family. They're doing the same thing. They are doing the same thing. My father is still working and I also am working. Oh. And he's going to make it worse. <laughs> Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing on his own, but only what he sees the father doing. For monkey see, monkey do? No, 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 no. The son see, the son do. Uh, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows himself and shows him all that he himself is doing. And he will show him greater works than these, so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whomever he wishes. Jesus is just going to do Let's dig this hole. Let's dig this hole. Let's dig this hole. He's dead. Up until now, it's been people saying things about Jesus and who Jesus is. In his discussion with Nicodemus, we had the first little hints of Jesus speaking for himself as to who I am. And then he speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well, and he uses the first of the I am's. And now we have this, identifying him as doing what he sees the Father doing. And what the Father does, he does. Well, he's already ordered his disciples out with the fruit and all that stuff and reap, right? The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And he will show him greater works than these so that you will be astonished. Indeed, just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whomever he wishes. This is, this is not borderline. This is over the top blasphemy exactly. for Jews. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Ah! Oh, cross! <laughs> <laughs> Out the door on the left, one cross each. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Just as they honor the Father. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very who? I'm going to read that again. Anyone who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. John, writing this gospel, 90 AD, dealing with this conflict with Jews who've been thrown out of the synagogue and responding to those Jews who threw them out of the synagogue. This is fighting words. <laughs> This is a statement back to those Jews who have rejected Christ and thrown the Jewish Christians out. If you don't respect the Son, you don't respect the God you worship. This is this interpretive layer built on top of what Jesus has done at the, in healing at the, and, and in working on the Sabbath day. Jesus is saying essentially here, I'm doing what God, what I see God the Father doing. He's and, not, huh? He's not talking to Jews here. He's talking to Christians who already believe this stuff. He's talking to both. He's talking to Jewish Christians who've been tossed out of the synagogues and who are pissed off about it. And in a sense, he's then talking to those, in a polemical way, to those Jews who threw them out. Saying, <laughs> that's a good theological statement, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. Like Barack Obama gets up at his acceptance speech at the convention and talks to Republicans. Yes, you that's know. what I'm talking about. Exactly. You know, in like a sense, yes. We're all one here. Oh, 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 oh. In a sense, that's, that's, that's the exactly idea. Very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my words and believes, faiths in me, in him, who sent me, let me read that again. Very truly I tell you, anyone who hears my words and faiths in him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. Wow. That, that's, I mean, there's a lot of theology <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. behind that. I mean, from verse 19 yeah. through verse 24, five so densely packed verses. You have, if you were to pull them apart and look at what they say, you could reconstruct almost all of Christian theology, Christology on Jesus, the theology of Jesus. You could pull it apart and come up with the Christian understanding of who Jesus is, and 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 it's 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 artfully written right here in ninety AD. And in, the, in the synoptics, anything similar to this or, or was probably said to disciples. This is a public speech, isn't it? This is a public. This is, this is one of his. This, this is, is this is a speech that is being said to the Jews who were opposing him. Don't you know that their reaction was to just go ballistic? <laughs> no, no, of course they'd say, "Oh, I, I believe you because I want to live my nice long life." No, you must be God. Crucify him. There you go. Give us Barabbas. That's the response. But the point is, actually, this is written not. This is being said to the church in 90 AD. This is being said for them. That's really 
and for all Christians who've come after them, and for those who rejected Jesus too in that sense, polemically speaking. He ain't done, but we're done. He ain't done. He's going to keep going. This kind of dialogue uh, statements, he's going to make it worse. I mean, we're getting, we're getting ready to get to the part about eat me. <laughs> I'm serious. We're getting ready to get to that point in John's gospel where he tells the disciples, theologically speaking, eat me. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have life. And it's, it rocks the foundations of the Jewish faith, but it's said for the Christians. It's said for the church. All of this is said for the church. As I said, I, I guess you could say that John's gospel is more about who Jesus is for us than it is anything else. It is a collection of titles and affirmations about who Jesus is and theological reflections built upon anecdotes and experiences in Jesus' life and ministry. But then it's a layer after layer of sermons on what this means, usually put into Jesus' own lips. Jesus teaches in parables in the synoptics. He teaches in dialogues here, and this is an example. This is an example. Questions? Thoughts? I think it teaches in tongue lashings here is what I think. He's whipping them. Yes, he is. I know, in us. It's almost like, how did this get out? And in the Bible, uh, since it's so rough on us. Yes, it's, it's rough on us. Anyone who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come under, under judgment, but has passed from death to life. But of course, that's a very positive statement. But it leaves you with the immediate conclusion that the contrary is also true. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. <laughs> yeah, you can't believe just one thing. <laughs> that sounds the contrary is also really good. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> well, I, uh, mm, very truly I tell you, anyone who does not hear my words and does not believe him who sent me does not have eternal life and does come under judgment and has not passed from death to life. That's the exact contrary positive of yeah, what is yeah. said. And he's also already said, I'm the judge. Yeah. He just said that, I'm the judge. That's me. Right before. You're going to judge, and that'd be me. That'd be me. So if you don't believe this, you. you How about the word for father? What, what, what's the Petros. 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 Let me double check. Uh, what's, what's the son? Uh, Julios, uh, verse 23. Uh, Patera, father, and Ulyas, son. It is familial. It's very familial. Without question, it's familial. It's very familial. That would be carnal, too, wouldn't it? So he's not, he's not messing around with Yahweh or anything? Oh, he doesn't use that term. He uses pater, father. He's using another title here, in a sense. But it's a family title. It's a family name. Daddy, and then the Abba in Aramaic. Uh, Pater in, in Greek. I wonder what he, if, if he were to convert this into Aramaic, would it come out Abba instead of, you know, the formal name for, for, for father in Hebrew? Probably come out Abba. 
Is that a word that's <coughs> that's not a form of direct address? That's also a, a proper noun or improper noun, whoever. It's a proper name that this you is use my for your, over here. or my father, my daddy, and it's it's familiar, and it's familiar format. Yeah, um, it's it's definitely in the familiar. Uyan, hina pantes timosin tan uyan kathos timose tan patera. Quite literally, um, um, uh, anyone who does not honor the son does not show honor for the son, does not show honor for the father who sent him. And it's interesting. It's well, an honor. At least he, he says he was sent. Oh yeah. Taking oh, a there is secondary role. There is no question that the son is secondary to what the to the father here. There is a subjugation of the son to the father. That that's definitely because whatever the father does, the son does because the son sees the father doing it. Well, and down in uh, thirty, it says, "I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me." We're going to pick it up at 25 next week, but yes, exactly. That's exactly right. This whole line continues. <coughs> this whole dialogue continues and, and gets longer and gets worse <laughs> in that worse. sense. <laughs> worse for the expectation of uh, for the position that the Jews would hold. Let's put that listening to a Bible study by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of St. Stephen United Methodist Church and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2010 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information or to listen to other seminars, Bible studies, or sermons by Dr. Gregory Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at St. Stephen United Methodist Church, 2520 Oates Drive, Mesquite, Texas, 75150. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.